Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you are joining us on whatever platform you've found us on. A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We broadcast on multiple platforms and it is for the most part about your questions on the Bible. You can send us in questions on the Bible and we have guests here who love to answer those questions. We actually have a special guest today that we'll be sharing more about in just a moment. So I'm not sure how many of your questions we will get to today, but you can certainly send them in and we will do our best with us today. We have Pastor Scott Richards and Pastor Sean Richards as well, father-son team. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Yeah. Uh, certainly is a day of concern, day of uh, intense prayer uh, regarding uh, the fate of uh, Israel uh, hanging in the balance. Uh, some things uh, earlier seemed uh, a lot worse than uh, they've uh, ended up panning out to be, but uh, we'll get to a uh, uh, download of all of those details yeah. uh, before too long. And tonight at 6.30, uh, we're gonna be doing a full-blown prophecy update. So if you have questions about what's going on in Israel, uh, you wanna be uh, brought up to speed uh, as close as we can to real time before we uh, actually share, as well as providing some solid uh, biblical GPS headings to be able to navigate in the midst of times like these, uh, boy, you talk about birth pains. We are in a doozy uh, right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, really important that we understand what the Word says, what Jesus has to say about this, how the Word of God can guide us in all of this, and the challenges and the opportunities that we have as believers in circumstances like this. So we'll be yeah. covering all that tonight. Great, yeah, at our service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, which will be at 6.30. Um, half an hour after we finish the show, we'll be going live again on the same <coughs> platforms. Uh, that we're on right now, or if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, you can certainly come down to um, our facility here as well for the service. Well, let me go over all the platforms real briefly here. Um, as we mentioned, this is a reason for hope. We're with you live Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. We're right by Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. And as I mentioned, we have a 6.30 p.m. service tonight. You're welcome to come on down. And as Pastor Scott was sharing, he's going to do a prophecy update. So much going on as it pertains to that. So you're more than welcome to come down for that or join us on all these same channels. We'll be going live there as well. Uh, you can go to calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's our website. Follow the live tab. That will take you to our live page. You can sign in there and uh, even send us a comment or question there and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events and a countdown when we're offline as well. So check out the upcoming events as well. ccftucson.online.church, you can type that right in or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. We're on Facebook as well. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com slash ccftucson. We have an app for your mobile device. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store and also in your channel store on Roku or Apple TV. You can join us there as well. On YouTube, A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. So look for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. We're live there as we speak. That's another way you can send us your questions and comments. Don't forget to like and subscribe and all that good stuff. We'd appreciate that. If you go to that live tab, there's an archive of uh, past shows as well if you want to catch up on there. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter, ScottR4H. I'm sure it's very busy at the moment with comments and things going on. So if you'd like to follow along with him on Twitter, ScottR4H is his handle. We're on the Rumble platform as well, Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. If you're on that platform, it's a relatively newer platform. And then our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com, questionsforhope at gmail.com. You're welcome to send a question and comment there as well. Welcome if you're joining us on the radio, drive safe if you're on your drive time. Keep in mind that uh, you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. Those other aforementioned platforms, we are live, but with you on the radio, 
you're uh, a day late and a dollar short. I don't know about the dollar short, but a day late at least. So, so keep that in mind. But questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Um, and today, as we mentioned, we have a special show, a special guest, as we have mentioned, Adrian Van Vactor, who uh, often hosts the show here along with myself. We kind of co-host. Um, he, as we've mentioned, has been out in Egypt on a mission trip, and we have him on the phone. I'm going to be kind of interviewing him and seeing what's going on out there. So I don't know if we want to pray, and then we can Yeah, let's do that. Until, yeah. yeah. Father, I thank you so much that we can come before you. In times like these, and uh, know that your sovereignty, the fact that all things are working out according to your plan and your will, uh, not only on the big picture on the world stage, but in uh, the, the worlds of our lives, Lord, it just gives us such peace and such rest. Thank you, Father, for watching out for us and protecting us. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the opportunity to be able to talk to someone like Adrian, uh, who is uh, right in the business of uh, not cursing the darkness, but lighting a single candle uh, right uh, very close to where Ground Zero is in all of this conflict. We thank you, Father, for putting him there, and Lord, we look forward to his uh, sharing his testimony, his encouragement to us all uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Adrian, are you there? Yes, I am here. Thanks uh, for having me. Fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for being there. I'm glad we figured out. What time is it there where you're at? It's a little after three in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, just a, a word to our audience. Where is the there that you're uh, at, uh, Adrian? I am within probably a uh, hundred yards from the Nile in Cairo, Egypt. Wow. Well, that is just mind-boggling. Uh, and Adrian, could you tell us how you came to be there? Now, this wasn't in response to all the uh, craziness that has gone on here. You went out there and all the craziness got going, correct? Yes, uh, as many of you already know, I am an illusionist and I use that as a platform of entertainment to go into the, the literally the uttermost parts of the earth, the most unreached, unreached places because as a performing artist, you can kind of get away with a lot more. You can get into a lot different places and so, this is actually my 60th uh, international mission, and I've uh, my art has taken to me about 50 countries. And uh, every year, um, well, I guess I'll start from the beginning. 2007, um, a one of the largest evangelical churches in Egypt approached the Luis Palau ministry, who had come up with a clever model of using performing arts and sports camps as a festival model for outreach. And these bold Egyptian Christians said, well, we want to try that here in Egypt. And they said, what? In Egypt? That's, aren't you guys like, you know, oppressed? And well, you know, we're 10% Christian country. So we want to try this to uh, encourage nominal believers and, and everybody else with the gospel. So they developed this, they bought some land and it has grown and grown ever since then. This year is the largest year uh, of attendance. It's a three day festival. They have all kinds of zip lines sports things and i mean it's unbelievable i can't even fully describe they have art tents uh play park for the kids they built a resort a pool this is all over the last you know over uh gosh 15 years <clears throat> and uh uh the first day of this festival each artist is a, obviously a christian from all over the world uh, we had over 15 or i think 1700 volunteers 
uh, from all over the world, including many, many Egyptians. 220 churches uh, combined their efforts to invite their neighbors, their friends, to bring them to the festival. So it's a three-day festival uh, about uh, two hours outside of Cairo. And we had uh, the first day about 6,000 Egyptians attend. And like I said, each event or each, I guess guess you could say, uh, activity is like a 45-minute presentation. So we have skateboarders, BMX bikers, uh, an illusionist. Uh, We have guys who are jumping motorcycles off and doing... Oh, oh, there he is. Are you there? Tricks. You're breaking up a little bit, brother. A, a, a phenomenal clown named Chaggy, the clown from Texas. He's he's just a great uh, brother from Puerto Rico. Okay, sorry, am I back? That's okay. You are hello? back. Yes. Yeah. Hello, hello. I guess it's to be expected. Am I back? <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm amazed you sound as yeah. clear as you do. So, uh, yep, you're you're certainly back. Carry on. Okay. Yeah, and so all these performing artists are believers. They all share their testimony, and many of us will do gospel presentations. Um, I was in the main tent. I did two shows each day. Uh, It's about a 45, 50-minute presentation. I do my act. I share my testimony. I do a gospel presentation. And uh, my tent seated roughly, uh, gosh, I could estimate maybe 700 to 900, depending on how Mm. many people were standing in the back. Uh, you'll probably see some pictures uh, flashing to the screen of the tent. Yeah, I have some and, pictures um, coming up. A massive. It looks like it's hot in there, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> everything's hot. They have like thirty fans. <laughs> I burn my hands during the fire act that I do in the opening of my show every single time, so my hands are all sore from being burned. But uh, it's it's just a phenomenal opportunity to invite so many Egyptian Christians from so many different backgrounds: Catholic, Coptic evangelical, Anglican, I mean, you name it, they come in buses, they're here all day, and they're hearing the gospel and many testimonies uh, from so many different people, from different backgrounds, and at the end of the day, they all gather in this enormous stadium for worship, and uh, a speaker, uh, Luis Palau's son, spoke on the last night, I had the pleasure of meeting him and having the Uh, have a meal with him and just kind of hear his background on this whole thing and how it's grown and how they're just they're still blown away there is nothing really like this festival anywhere on earth and it's just a shock that it's in of all places Cairo Egypt the second day we had somewhere around 12,000 Egyptians attend and uh, because it's a Friday they you know they have like a day off and 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 then on uh, on Saturday we had another five or six thousand attend and the evening worship times are amazing. Uh, it's just a phenomenal event, uh, a really great way. And of course, so many other kinds of Egyptians that may not belong to a church or may not have been born into a Christian family will also attend and get a chance to hear the message. Uh, so it's a really phenomenal outreach and also an encouragement. I was told uh, just today that they're really estimating that the whole country is probably more like 20% Christian background. And they're really trying to fight to not be designated as a minority anymore. That Egypt is the most, <laughs> that I am aware of, one of the most Christianized countries in the Middle East. So it's it's really phenomenal to be a part of what they've been doing. This is my fifth um tour here and uh it's just always a joy and always an encouragement i'm often more ministered to than i probably am ministering to them so it's just a phenomenal opportunity Mm. there's a picture of you with a a young boy is there some kind of story to that i'm I'm 
Yeah, we wanted to find out about uh, a really unique opportunity to minister to refugees, correct? Yeah, I was supposed to go home uh, on Monday, last Monday, and uh, a couple other, uh, another team that I've I had the privilege of working with over the last 10 years happened to be doing a tour here at the same time. And initially I was very hesitant because I have, you know, three young boys and a wife sitting there in Tucson. And so I thought, gosh, do I really want to be away for the first time for that long? So I initially just thought, nope, I'm going to keep it short and simple. And then once I got here, I just thought, well, gosh, I really, there are so many other cool things that I could be doing that I would love to be able to do. And why would I travel all this way and then go right back home? So I, I talked with her. She, she molded over for uh, a night and, and just told me the next day, I want you to stay. Uh, God's ministering to me while you're gone and he's using you. So I decided to extend my trip. And the first show that we did, the event, I the team that I joined, we had dancer, a dance troupe from Columbia, musicians from uh, New York and Indiana. We have um, uh, an artist uh, from, gosh, he's from, uh, I think he's from Alaska. He's a, like a jump rope champion. He's got like world records. <laughs> uh, uh, we have uh, a gal who's a missionary from mainland China on our team, which is, she's an artist and she does this painting on the background. And as, as we're speaking, she's painting these different pictures that vanish after she's done slowly as it dries they disappear and then she does a new one such an awesome variety arts program and we did it at an anglican run refugee center for sudanese refugees so you'll see maybe one of the pictures or two of the audience uh typically when i join this team i i end up getting recruited to be the speaker to share like a testimony and a gospel message so you can see I'm doing a gospel presentation, and these are people who have fled uh, from a civil war that broke out last April, where you have two generals just duking it out, trying to get control of the country, blowing up the whole place. So a lot of the men and the fathers are either fighting or these kids have seen their parents, families, uh, neighbors, friends die in front of them. So it was a, a very devastating situation and it was very difficult to stand there with a smile because it was that little boy is the same age as my son and these are all muslims 100 percent devout muslims they uh, are there because they're just desperate to flee war and they were happy to have uh, us perform for them in fact uh, afterwards i had met with this family one of the few families that seemed to have a dad around and he just looked at me and he said I don't understand why you would travel clear across the world so that you can bring a little bit of, you know, I don't want to say it this way, but hope in our lives. I mean, and he told us their story that they were just cooking breakfast one morning, very unexpected. There was nothing that led to any kind of buildup or any expectation that this would happen. Next thing you know, he's fleeing for their lives uh, mm -hmm. into Egypt. <clears throat> and he just said, I'm just, I, I'm so grateful that you would leave your family behind and come here. And I said, it's not us, it's the love of God that, that is put in our hearts and that we hope that you'll have. And so it was just a, I, I mean, staying for that, extending my trip, that one event was worth the entire extension. <laughs> it was just such a, a heartwarming experience. They were pretty rough, uh, receptively speaking, uh, with the gospel, but, uh, you know, seeds were planted. They experienced how much we love them, how much um, the body of Christ that is here, local, the Anglican 
uh, Egyptians who are here. That's kind of a weird saying, <laughs> Anglican Egyptians, but uh, the Anglican Church, but the Egyptians here who are just loving on them and giving them food and shelter and, and an opportunity to start a new life. And, uh, and of course, they had a chance to, I, I just never imagined ever sharing with a group of Sudanese uh, people uh, such a open gospel presentation that that was really kind of a <clears throat> a really amazing experience and these are uh all muslims uh the refugees you're dealing with here correct yeah 100 percent. mostly women and children uh, they many of them had the full headdress some of them you know if they're not married they have to have their face covered so i met uh there i had one picture taken that this mom came up to me and just said oh you got to take a picture with my daughter and she was 15 she says don't touch her she's not married she's just you can't even lean on her so i just kind of put my hands by my i think i put my hands in front of me and and they have their face completely covered and then once they get married they just have to wear the hijab i know in other countries it's different but for some reason, all the unmarried young girls, they have their faces completely covered. All you see is the eyes. And yeah, the entire audience is 100% Muslim. Mm. Bunch of little kids running around. Uh, every time one of the new performers would come out, they would just cheer and have a great time. They were screaming and yelling. And probably the most laughter and joy they've had in months. Mm. Wow. Wow. So, you know, you, you mentioned the, uh, the notion that uh, the presentation of the gospel was rough with them. Did you get a chance to interact at all on a one-on-one -on -one basis uh, with any of them uh, as far as uh, their receptivity or lack thereof to uh, the message of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. We, that's one of our goals is to spend as much time one-on-one -on -one interacting with people after the program. Unfortunately, the, the power goes out at six o'clock in the evening every night here for an hour. So it went out just as we were doing that interaction, but we were able to take it outside and continue our conversations with individuals. And uh, many people, when you know, when you do this the thousands of times that I have, you can kind of really sense when an audience is with you and when they're not with you, when the walls are up or when the walls are down, you just kind of have this sense and I could tell that the moment I mentioned the name of Jesus, the walls kind of came up and I just kept mm. going. I just pushed through my my presentation and uh, and my gospel illustration. I use a very visual illustration because most of these individuals have sort of like a negative eight understanding of the gospel. And we'll be thrilled if we can bring them to like a negative two, <laughs> <laughs> if they have just that much clarity, then that much more clarity. That's that's one more seed planted. But afterwards, uh, there was a very different picture painted, and I could tell that most of the reaction I was getting was really for the whole peer pressure thing, that maybe there are some things we were saying that were resonating with many of them spiritually, but they couldn't show that because that would be, you know, a near death sentence. So it was afterwards where they would, people would come up to me and say, you know, I really, really appreciated your message. It meant a lot. Like the family I was talking to, I thought he might try to debate me about Islam or something like that, and he didn't. He just said, you gave us hope. Uh, thank you. He didn't even touch anything that I said spiritually as far as, you know, wanting to debate. A couple came up to me and said, you know, you are a Christian and we respect that. We are Muslims and we would like you to think about Islam too. And I said, hey, you know, I've thought a lot about Islam. I've spent a lot of time. In fact, at my home church, we have a 
a walking encyclopedia of Islam. <laughs> so I have plenty of opportunities yeah. to uh, to engage. Uh, this isn't the first time I've you know spent time in a Muslim country, and uh, I say I hope you'll just remember that uh, you know Jesus is what, who we who, the, the Jesus we described is the real Jesus, and uh, and hopefully those seeds are planted. I didn't get any negativity one on one whatsoever. Just a little bit of those walls coming up during the actual message. Like, mm. oh, here we go again. <laughs> and by the way, if you're listening uh, to us, this is a reason for hope, our usual uh, podcast and uh, broadcast we have at this time. Uh, we are uh, speaking with uh, Reason for Hope uh, team member, uh, our usual uh, Monday uh, chief cook and bottle washer and button pusher, Adrian Van Vactor who is now in Cairo, Egypt, uh, about 100 yards from the Nile River, uh, engaged in a powerful outreach to Muslims out there. So if you've got questions about what Adrian is doing out there, uh, maybe questions about uh, how to effectively share, uh, perhaps with someone that was coming from that background, uh, any question you'd like to ask uh, Adrian during this, uh, this broadcast, we would more than welcome it. And uh, please feel free. Uh, to jump on in, and our lovely and talented Dave will uh, let us know as those those questions uh, come up. Now, uh, Adrian, with all of the uh, chaos that is going on just across the Egyptian border in uh, Gaza, is that affecting your ministry? How are people responding to that in uh, Cairo right now? Our hosts, have, all our venues have been canceled, every single one, except for the Anglican Church. The we have another mm -hmm. Anglican Church show for a group of churches who are just bringing their Christian youth. So it's kind of, it's not really an outreach, but it is just a a way to encourage uh, young Christian youth. But every single event got canceled. Uh, one not because of the conflict going on. Unfortunately, we were supposed to uh, present at the Coptic the the famed cave church tomorrow and. Um, a very beloved pastor and servant, uh, you know, as, as anyone who has been to Egypt knows that the cave church is in what's called garbage city. It is literally just a massive, humongous city made of trash. It's, it's sad. And this pastor has touched the lives of every single Christian who lives in there and non-Christian. And uh, he, unfortunately, just a few hours earlier today, passed away. Oh, my gosh. And he's uh, such a beloved individual that they are taking three days to mourn. And so tomorrow we were supposed to do an event for families of handicapped children who are being ministered to through this charity, and they're all uh, Muslim background families. Um, and so I was really looking forward to that opportunity, but unfortunately— with the passing of uh, one of our Christian brothers, um, is uh, it got canceled, and then of course the conflict has pretty much uh, ended the entire tour. It's mm. pretty much over. Every every host is doesn't want to have anything to do with anything that might bring uh, a spotlight onto what they're doing, uh, especially involving foreigners. So they just said we're pretty much done here. <laughs> Uh, sadly, it's it's really unfortunate, but um, it is uh, what it is, and uh, we keep being getting told by uh, the Casa de Barrio Church that we served with for the festival that uh, they're seeing just huge revival in Egyptian Christians, a lot of nominal believers coming to faith. Like I said, we had probably twenty-five to 30,000 Egyptians come out to the festival this last past weekend and week. 
So uh, God is really moving in Egypt, and I'm really hoping that this conflict will not deter the gospel, but will actually um, cause it to grow like a wildfire. Yeah, and uh, and generally speaking, uh, do they encourage you in the in these uh, ventures to stay away from uh, well, in a sense, talking politics? Yes, it's better to just not explain any views. Uh, I mean, we'll talk privately. We've been having some. I, I, uh, one of the other reasons why I really wanted to extend my trip is that uh, back in 2017. I met a young teenager who loved magic, who was an evangelical Christian, probably slightly nominal, but a you know a good kid. Him and his sister, uh, after Ali and I finished uh, a really long tour throughout Upper Egypt, and uh, and of course we did the festival in 2017 as well. And uh, they took us to this museum and spent the whole day with us, and it was just neat to meet them. And I was kind of trying to disciple him and, and also teach him some of the tricks of the trade. And so he, I did some video chats with him and, and then he just looked at what I was doing and decided I want to be an evangelist. So here we are five years later and oh he's gosh. got a good job. He's now a young adult and he's developed his act, his show. He's now doing gospel presentations in his shows. He's now joining the ministry that that I have worked with over the years, I introduced him to them, and now he's one of their country coordinators. And I just spent the entire evening with him tonight, uh, again exchanging some training, giving him some props and some supplies, and just encouraging him. and And so it's uh, <clears throat> neat to see that. But he and I were privately talking about the situation and just clarifying like what's really going on because there's obviously a narrative that has been taking place for many many decades in this part of the world that paints a very deceptive picture of what's really going on and so we had a good chance to talk about that but apart from that i did get some dirty looks (laughs) from other people and i realized i better keep quiet because i could end up you know in a ditch somewhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah even though uh, egypt and israel have uh, an official uh the peace treaty between them. I imagine things are a little edgy at this point, are they not? Yes. The sentiment here, especially among Islamic Egyptians, is a absolute hatred for uh, Jews in Israel. They, I mean, in we were supposed to be in Alexandria, and that host canceled. And what happened on Saturday there was an officer who saw an Egyptian tour guide and two Jewish tourists, and he just decided to pull out his weapon and shoot them in cold blood, right in public. And he hasn't been arrested. He's been touted as a hero. And what my friend shared with me tonight was that even Christian Egyptians have that vitriol or that hatred towards um, the Jewish people in Israel. So it's very, very sad situation and when i told him what had happened this weekend he he was just his jaw dropped he had no idea there is no mention or talk about what actually happened and i took him through the history of the land he goes where do you stand do you stand with the palestinians or do you stand with the the israelis and i said well it's really not about my opinion it's about the history and what the bible says and what god has said so i took him through the history of the land what happened and how the narrative and the words like occupation are extraordinarily deceptive and misleading. It's not the situation. <laughs> and I just said, everything you hear here in this country is an, is really a fabrication. 
And he was just like, you know what? I agree with you. I've always known this. He had an uncle or, or some family member that lived in Israel for like five years. And he said, uncle, uncle, you have to tell me, is it really the way that people say he is? And he goes, no, it's all lies. Oh. And he, that's just an Egyptian who lived there for five years. That's it. And he knew that it was all just a big smoke screen. <laughs> wow. So the sentiment here is very, very volatile. And it's best to just keep your head down. Uh, my attitude is, yes, I have very strong views of God's people. But at the same time, I'm here to represent the Jewish Messiah. And, you know, if you stick to that, you'll still get in trouble for that. But I'd rather get in trouble just for that rather than, you know, putting my two cents worth in something that I'll have no control over the outcome. That's in God's hands. <laughs> yeah, it just it, it strikes me as a really remarkable that uh, a nation that would have that kind of official point of view uh, about uh, Israel and uh, the West and, you know, the United States as a backer of Israel and so on, allowing uh, people from the United States to come in for the, the purposes that you're there for. Uh, you know, how did those doors open up in the first place? Well, it really is because the history here. I mean, Egypt was predominantly Christian when the gospel came here from the apostles. Um <clears throat> You know, it was a Coptic Christian nation. It, the gospel spread here unbelievably until the Muslim invasion took place. And that's when, you know, forced conversion took place. And uh, but because of this huge Coptic and other Christian denominational uh, Egyptians presence, that's really what makes it possible. Any Christian can have an event here and do a public event as long as it's for Christians and only Christians can promote to Christians. But a Muslim, if he wants to come to see an event put on by Christians, he's more than welcome to. There's nothing preventing him from doing so. If I go out in public and target Muslims, or if I say, I'm going to stand on a street corner, yes, I would get arrested and deported. Right. But uh, if I go to a church or I go to this festival, that's why this festival is such an effective, effective outreach, because <clears throat> Muslims flock to this thing because it's fun. And they hear the gospel, and many, many Muslims come to faith as a result. But the all the advertising is only to churches. That's why it requires such a huge partnership of churches, because they bus all these people in. They're there all day. They can't leave until the buses leave at the end of the night. And um, uh, the government approves it because, you know, you have the freedom to be a Christian in this country. Uh, you can't proselytize Muslims on purpose, but if a Muslim comes to church— there's no he's not going to get arrested for going to church now he'll he'll experience horrendous persecution if he were to convert but that's up to that individual the church does not get blamed for that so do you think there's a lot do you think there's a lot of uh, undercover converts as a result of that or when someone makes that decision are they pretty bold about it absolutely undercover uh, there is probably some boldness but every situation is probably different I would imagine that individuals who come from very nominal Muslim families are probably a little more bold about it. Uh, but those who are further in the north, like Alexandrian Egyptians, they have a hatred of, of you know, as you said, Pastor Scott, the great Satan. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the little Satan, uh, for them to convert would probably be a near-death sentence. Uh, they'd have to flee to another city in order to start a new life. <clears throat> 
but I would imagine there's a huge underground population of secret Christians who have not sort of come out and said they're Christians. The official government stats is 10% of the country, and it's more likely 20%. And if you include a lot of the undercover Muslims, probably more like 25 to 30%. Wow. Wow. And, and that's changing pretty uh, radically. Does that represent a sea change, or has it always kind of been that way? I think it's a, a massive change. Um, Christians here have always been nominal. Christianity has always been a name on a birth certificate. If you are born into a Christian family, you are a Christian. If you're born to a Muslim family, you are Muslim. It's printed right on your birth certificate. Mm. You cannot change it unless you're converting to Islam. Then you can change it. And so people just think that, well, I'm a Christian because I was born that way. They have no concept of the idea of having a faith commitment or a personal relationship with God. Most Christians in this country, it's an outward facade of ceremony and religious observation, religious holidays, uh, iconography. It's, It's not the faith that is communicated to us by the apostles in the New Testament. It's not a walk with God. It's not a um, faith coming, uh, bringing about a transformation and a new creation. The idea of being born again, these are all foreign concepts to most Egyptian Christians. So when you bring these things up in your presentation, do you get uh, some pushback even from the nominal Christians? Yeah, you do. You know, this this is the Western brand of Christianity. Uh, they don't have the same value of God's word as we do. It's just, I'm an American. I'm an Indian. I'm a Christian. It's it's really bizarre because that's probably how America was at one time until secularization took place. But um, yeah, it, you do get some pushback. But it, but those who are sensitive to belief in God, it's funny how many uh, Egyptian Christians are actually atheists. But um, <clears throat> those who are sort of in tune with the idea that God exists, when they do hear the the gospel, they, they really respond very well. And so we've seen um, the testimonies at the conference, at the festival, were uh, really phenomenal, very touching. Just so many people saying, yeah, I used to just live like a normal, you know, secular person. I smoked, I drank, I didn't care about God. I just observed, you know, the outward things. And then I realized that my heart was empty and dark and lost and and when i i came to faith through these these weird christians then all of a sudden i realized (laughs) that you know a relationship with god is is so much different than what's on my birth certificate you know that kind of thing so it's a mix but it's you know there's a lot of work to be done here so if you are an artist or if you want to volunteer for next year's festival they will take you. In fact, we had about uh, maybe 15 or 20 people come from Arizona. I met them all in the airplane. I was so surprised how many Americans came and volunteered and participated in the festival from Arizona. (laughs) Well, maybe we can uh, do something about uh, facilitating some more people from Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson uh, to be able to join you next go around. Mm -hmm. That would be phenomenal. Yeah, and if someone was thinking about doing something like that, I mean, I can imagine uh, if uh, maybe the Lord is laying on somebody who's listening, someone's heart who's listening to this uh, broadcast right now going, oh, man, that just sounds so exciting. But I could never do that. Uh, You know, I'm not trained. I don't know how to be a missionary. What would would your response be to them? 
well, I would say that 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 I have met people <laughs> just from my own backyard this last week from all walks of life with all kinds of different skills that are seemingly unrelated to evangelism or outreach or anything like that, who are just here to be present. If you are an artist, if you can paint, if you can sing, if you can dance, if you can just play with kids, if you can uh, do arts and crafts with children, if you can just, uh, if you know how to do zip lining, if you know how to uh, uh, just be present and smile and express the heart of Jesus, you are fully equipped to serve and be a light and salt here in in Egypt. Now, is there a is there a major language barrier? Do you have to work through translators, or is there uh, quite a bit of English spoken? Surprisingly, a lot of Egyptians speak some English, but it, it is a huge language barrier. So uh, body language is everything. And of course, when I'm doing my presentation, I always have a translator. And so um, the language barrier is difficult, but it's amazing how many Egyptians know some English words you can kind of get by. Uh, most of them don't, but a lot of them do. And if you were to come, you know, whether it's to just, you know, you, some, of the, some of the volunteers just walked around the festival and figured out where they could feel comfortable being a part of helping. They're like, okay, I think I'm gonna just go over here and be in the art tent and just, I love yeah. art and so I'm gonna just be there and smile and hug people. And and of course they have huge amounts of, of uh, <clears throat> what they call hosts. Each team member, uh, each team has like a liaison from the Egyptian side who is their coordinator and their translator. So everyone has a translator nearby them at all times. They have prayer warriors that speak the language all over the festival. So, you know, you can direct people to the white shirts for prayer. You can direct people for the blue shirts for translation. It's a well-oiled machine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's great. So if someone is uh, maybe being stirred up in their heart right now about wanting to be uh, a part of uh, the next outreach. When is it going to happen and, and what steps could they take uh, to move in that direction? Well, it's this time of year every year. It's around, sorry, my I have a little loss of voice and a little throat cold or something going on. But uh, yeah, you can, uh, it's this time of year, usually around the beginning of October. It kind of flexes sometimes. It's at the end of October, but usually around October, it's called Count It Right. Uh, it's the name of the festival, Count It Right uh, Egypt. And and uh, I would be able to post a simple little sort of information page on our website. So uh, I wouldn't be able to get to it till I get back, probably in a couple of weeks, maybe after maybe into November, but if you sure. were interested, you could um, contact us at Calvary Christian Fellowship and we could start praying and figuring out what we could do. And then I would put you in touch and connect you with the leadership here saying, hey, our church has is growing a, a group of volunteers who would like to come out and serve for the festival. So you tell us where we can help and, and then they'll coordinate with us. They'll pick you up at the airport They'll bring you to the festival grounds. They'll they'll um, put you up. They'll feed you. Give they'll you a tour take of the, you pyramids. the pyramids at the yeah. end. And they'll ride a camel, and then they'll send you on home with a huge thank you. But you'll have uh, a wonderful three days of uh, just uh, a really amazing experience. 
That's that's awesome. Well, it's just so mind-boggling to me that uh, it sounds to me like we're having a, a conversation with you down at the uh, Circle K on uh, uh, Prince and, uh, and the freeway, uh, but that you're half a world away <laughs> there in Egypt. How can the people that are joining us on the broadcast pray for you and for the outreach? What, where, where do you really need the prayer support? Well, primarily pray for the many new believers and the Christians who are here now, who will, who live here, who will continue to serve. Um, I imagine there might be some intense persecution. Uh, the church here has always been tremendously persecuted, and it could increase. So I'd really encourage you to pray for our brothers and sisters who are Egyptian, who live here, the Casa de Barrio Church here, the largest church in Egypt in Cairo. They are a evangelical church, and uh, they're right by the U.S. Embassy in a heavily guarded place because the Arab Spring that, that erupted here in Egypt erupted right on front of their doorsteps. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they, the whole street is blocked off still by the, mil- by the, by the police. It's really interesting. To, to go to church, you have to go through a, a police inspection just to get to church. But uh, uh, I would pray for them. As far as our, our program it looks like our time here has come to an end. We are still hoping and looking for opportunities. Uh, we're going to head down south, and maybe uh, I have some recreational plans. So I'm going to get a. I'm going to get to enjoy a little bit of downtime, perhaps even uh, visit the location where Moses was uh, dropped into the water to uh, be given a new life when he was a baby. So that'll be kind of fun to wow. go check out. But uh, uh, we might uh, <clears throat> get to see some cool sites but um right now and unfortunately we're it looks like we're at a standstill i don't know if we're going to be able to get something together so you could pray for us to maybe find new opportunities um but at the very least um get home safely to our families you know we've got team members like i said from all over the world colombia china america um, so you could pray for our safety and our safe return. If things were to really, really escalate, it might be difficult to even get out of the country. We're not quite sure, but all those kinds of things would be things that we would really appreciate prayer for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we will definitely uh, be uh, lifting up along those that line. One other follow-up I just had for you. Uh, you know, you mentioned that there were quite a few decisions. Do they have any uh, uh, grip on uh, how many people made decisions for Christ at this the outreaches you've been involved with? Unfortunately, I don't have any stats yet. I'm, I'm hoping to get something from them soon to kind of just a little update. Uh, maybe uh, when I'm back at the controls with you, Pastor Scott, I, I might have some new information by then. But uh, at this point, I don't know. I just know the approximate attendance, but we haven't been given any tabulation. They used to do like paper common cards, but now they're doing things more digitally since everyone has a cell phone. And uh, uh, I don't know how they're going to figure all that out. So, But they, they have it down to a science. So I, I'm sure we'll find out how many recommitments or how many new believers, how many Muslim background uh, new believers there might be and so on. Yeah. So I'll be sure to give you an update. And if, if you want to get on uh, my newsletter, you can also go to my website, which is uh, adriantthemagician.com. And I'll send an update to anybody who signs up there. I'll send out an update here in the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah, and if uh, people want to support your ministry, how can they do that? 
you can go to the same website, uh, adriannemagician.com, and there's a donate button, and that'll take you to my sending organization. Uh, also, you can just, if you're part of our local community here, uh, there, not here, <laughs> there in Tucson, um, you can uh, just donate to the church and just designate it to Calvary Global Missions and uh, support, you know, that can go towards another future project. Wow. That'll be that'll be wonderful. Well, uh, Sean, would you like to pray for Adrian right now before we let him go? Be happy it, to. It's uh, what about three uh, thirty or three forty-five in the morning there? Or <laughs> we really appreciate you staying up to uh, speak with us. So, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's almost four. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep him talking. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Dad, thank you that there's an open door here, not only for us and our local community, but even windows that would go worlds away, be a lifetime of journey in any other time in history. You've raised up Adrian for such a time as this, as well as those alongside them, and we ask that your spirit would move as he sees fit. We're also thankful that your work within the hearts and lives and minds of the people that are attending these rallies are going to be touched with your word, and we know that that's not going to return void. We ask uh, for not only his sake, but also for his uh, boys and his girl, that they would be seen home, not only safely, but quickly, and that in the midst of all of this, you would do a continual work in their heart as well as through their lives as an example of your glory and how much you love them and can love through them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And Adrian, we had uh, several comments online that you are missed and generally the consensus is we want you to come home again so i just thought i'd pass that on (laughs) to you as well and adrian will be joining us for our fall festival here at calvary christian fellowship that's on friday the 27th of october you're going to be sharing Mm. some of your illusions and uh, magician gifts he will blow your mind yes you will you will yeah if you want to if you want to see what i've been doing here i'm going to be doing just about the exact same presentation at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on October, uh, October 27th. Uh, it's a whole fall festival, so there'll be all kinds of activities for the kids, uh, a lot of fun games and so on. And then in the sanctuary, we're going to be putting on the show. It'll be about a 45 to one hour length program, and that'll start around 6.30 or 7. So we it, the whole event starts at 5 p.m. on Friday the 27th. So we would really encourage you to not just attend, but please invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, because this is an opportunity for uh, you to be a witness to them through this outreach event. That's fantastic. Well, uh, our prayers are with you, and uh, we'll uh, trust God that he's going to get you home uh, not a minute too early and not a minute too late. How's that? Yeah, thank you. I miss you all, and I'm of course I miss my boys, and I can't wait to see you all in in person. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to have you back on the panel. So. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. Get some sleep. Thank you for having me. Yeah, blessings. Will do. All right, love you guys. Bye bye. Love you too. Love you. Bye. All right, Adrian wow. Van Vactor, half a world away in Cairo, Egypt. It just boggles my mind that he's. Uh, within shouting distance of the Nile River, of all things, <laughs> and uh, spending time here with us. So uh, we've got a little time left on the program. Do we have some questions we need to get to? Yeah, a few. Yeah. Go up, yep. yep. We had one come in, um, you know, a bit of a departure from what we're talking about, but um, uh, from T, is it 
TPP. God knows the future, past and present. Is it true? God is also in the what if, what could uh, be. God could have chosen someone else had Ju Judas not betrayed Jesus or was Ju Judas predestined. Yeah, there's three statements that are being made there that are kind of not only in fundamental conflict with each other, but they're getting confused with each other. Uh, first, the idea of God knowing not what will be, not what won't be, but what could be, what's known as middle knowledge, right. is described in fancy as Molinism, the idea that God knows every possible scenario. And it has merit, it also has its weaknesses, but the usual proof text people will go to is, for instance, in the book of Jeremiah, where the king who was reigning at the time, I believe Zedekiah, Zedekiah was yeah. told if you surrender to the Babylonians, this, this, and this is going to happen. He didn't. God prophesied before he spoke through Jeremiah to him, this is what's going to happen to you, and this was also what ended up happening to him. But God made a deliberate and a truthful proposal to Zedekiah and saying, here's another route your life can take if you obey me. I know you won't, but love hopes all things, and that's the point. Now, obviously, when we get into the realm of potential routes, that gets dangerously close to something that we don't entertain on the broadcast, and that is hypothetical. So what if God created, you know, uh, a down to be up or up to be down? What if God created a bachelor to mean a married man? What if God fundamentally altered the nature of reality? This is the reality we're dealing with, so let's not waste time with that. But what you're talking about in terms of predestination is actually something that people who affirm predestination would shy away from, and that is double predestination, that God decides not only who will go to heaven in advance, what's used in Calvinistic circles as the elect, he also decides, with the same intent and purpose, those who will go to hell those who are vessels of dishonor, to use Romans chapter 9's language. So that, and again, that's something that most Calvinists and people who affirm sovereignty to its extreme would shy away from. So when we're talking about three different branches, first of all, hypothetical is going beyond reality. It's unproductive. Molinism is the affirmation that God is omniscient, that he knows all things, including potential, if you want to use the Marvel term, timelines, if you will. But it is actually working in the realm of reality. But we only entertain it in as far as his word would affirm or deny. So he's not going to violate his nature, but he is going to reflect it in two possible ways, a vessel for honor, a vessel for dishonor. We note that God is aware of what both will look like. The third is, of course, throwing the first two out altogether and noting that God is going to dictate the outcomes before they take place in the negative sense. And just like we would use certain proof texts, like what we read in Jeremiah referring to Zedekiah in a positive, that God's desire is for him to right. be saved, we would note direct contradictions to that given plain statements in Scripture. And this is how we always want to interpret it. So if I go to, and I'll keep an Old and New Testament balance on this, Ezekiel 33:11 and 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God's default position is not the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. And where we meet on common ground with the Calvinists is that the will of God is not thwarted. So if his emphasis, if his desire is for the best possible right. outcome, for the wicked to turn from his way and live, then we can't entertain. He would consciously, proactively, and sovereignly enact someone's destruction. But then, with that in mind, how do we harmonize the fact that not all will be saved, that broad is the way that goes to destruction and many go in there by it? 
The reason is because we affirm both sovereignty and free will. Now, free will does not mean that hypotheticals are productive. Free will is not necessarily a primary argument in the doctrine of Molinism. And by the way, I'm taking the time to pronounce that correctly because modalism is not a heresy modalism. that no. misrepresents the Trinity. Yeah. Molinism is that idea of middle knowledge, that God knows the potential of every life, but he also knows what the actuality of every life is. That's simplifying it, but that's the point. So there is room for it. There's weaknesses to it, and I encourage you to look those up as well. But note that any strength that's worth listening to is going to be grounded in Scripture, and I'd stick with those. That's why double predestination wouldn't work. That's why Molinism sometimes works, <laughs> and that's also why hypotheticals don't. Yeah, and uh, I mean, even the illustration of Judas Iscariot, uh, you know, we look at the fact that Jesus, even though he said, you know, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? You know, he said, better for that man who betrays the Son of Man to have never been born. Uh, and yet we see that even when Judas goes to betray him, uh, Jesus says to him, friend, do what you've come for. You know, he doesn't say you reprobate, you son of the devil and full of all destruction or anything like that. Yeah, he's still giving him an opportunity to turn around. And by the way, Judas betrayed Jesus that night, right? Right. Another individual betrayed Jesus three times that same night. And it was also <laughs> predicted that he would do that, and he swore kicking and screaming that he never would. Of course, we're referring to Simon Peter. So, you know, the, the interesting thing is Judas felt great remorse over what he did. He took the 30 pieces of silver and said, I betrayed innocent blood. Uh, the religious leaders, as only religious leaders can do, showed great compassion for him and said, what is that to us? You see to it. And he threw the money into the treasury and went out and hung himself. Uh, you know, the, the question always comes up, well, what if he hadn't hung himself? Well, we see that God was able to work on the heart of a guy who pretty much thought it must have been over, all over for him, named Simon Peter. I mean, if you're denying you know Jesus to a little girl and around a campfire, I'd say that's a pretty... Uh, titanic spiritual implosion that's mm. taken place. With cursing and swearing. But uh, the, the, the bottom line, though, is that because Peter stayed around, Jesus was able to restore him and allow him to reaffirm his faith, not once, not twice, but three times. Could Judas have done the same? We don't know, because he didn't. All we do know is the choices that were made. Uh, but it does seem that even in an extreme case like Judas Iscariot, uh, where, you know, again, uh, Jesus had predicted before all this happened that this would happen. They even cited a passage in the Psalms about uh, the one who has, uh, you know, shared a meal with me has lifted up his heel against me, which is the mm. most uh, over-the-top uh, sign of disrespect you could ever have mm. in the Middle East. So, you know, again, Judas was prophesied did Judas still have a choice? Seems like it. Uh, did Judas exercise that choice? Uh, not in a positive way. Uh, did this, was the scripture fulfilled? Yeah, that's all we know right. for sure, this side of heaven. Yep. And I mean, to kind of push the envelope and get into, you know, again, Marvel movie timelines and things like that. Yep. Uh, you know, we're just, we're getting involved with speculation when I think what God wants us to focus in 
on is revelation. And uh, the, the fact of the matter is God says, I've set before you life and death, a blessing and the curse. Choose life that you might live. If you're out there and maybe you've been on the fence as far as committing your life to Christ, what God is saying to you in this broadcast today is it's time to make that decision. It's time to put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's time to invite him to come into your heart, uh, to forgive your sins, and to make you the person that you always dreamed that you could be when God makes you in the very image and likeness of Christ. But that requires a decision on your part. It required a decision on God's part. There's no doubt about it. If God hadn't decided to send his son, we'd all be dead in the water. <laughs> there, there would have been no saving us. God made that decision. Jesus even went as so far as to say, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Before the foundation of the world, God predestined us to adoption as sons. Uh, so, you know, that gives me great uh, assurance in my walk with God, but there's also great responsibility that comes with that. Uh, we shouldn't treat that as a trivial thing or say, well, I guess maybe I'm not chosen because uh, I just don't feel like responding. Well, no, the, the choice is up to you whether you feel like it or not. So please, if you hear the Lord speaking to you even on this program today, don't harden your heart. Uh, invite Christ into your heart right now. You'll never regret it. Forgive your sins. You'll discover the love of God in your life personally, and we'll have the promise of everlasting life with him after this crazy life is over. So uh, speaking of this crazy life, we want to remind you all that in a half an hour, we're going to be going to our live prophecy update. So much going on in the world, so many significant things, so many avenues we want to encourage you to pray. And it's going to be a little different prophecy update that we're not only going to bring up to speed about what's going on in the Middle East, but we will also allow you to uh, see some practical insights into how to make the most of times like this. Stick these. around for that. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.